Hello, welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, part of the Last Bite Network, a production of Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne. You know what would be great? I would really love it if we could have a couple of damn weeks in this stupid decade when something terrible didn't happen. Now that the Omicron variant is ebbing, we have a full-blown war in Europe as Russia invaded Ukraine today. It's exhausting. It's exhausting for everyone. Today, it's especially exhausting for Ukrainians. And since the pandemic started, it has been exhausting for hospital workers. But of course, restaurant folk have borne their fair share of the crap as well. A study released about a year ago from the University of California at San Francisco found that line cooks had a higher rate of mortality caused by the novel coronavirus than anyone else in the country, including healthcare workers. It found that line cooks had a 60% increase in mortality associated with the pandemic. Apart from the deaths, which are horrible, restaurant workers lost their jobs, and the ones still working found their work even harder as they had to deal with fewer colleagues, asshole customers, supply chain issues, ever-changing regulations. I mean, I don't have to tell you, the 2020s suck. So today... I'd like to present you with a fun interview with Justin Cucci, the operator of several excellent restaurants in Denver, including Root Down and Linger, and Ophelia's Electric Soapbox, a restaurant and entertainment venue located in a former brothel that's about to reopen. It's a sex-positive place, Cucci tells me. Actually, his PR team is calling it a gastro-brothel, even though you might be interested to know prostitution actually still is illegal in Denver, even though, even though a number of other interesting things aren't. Coochie is also a former musician, so we talk about the music at his restaurants, as well as how he has reworked the food to help cope with all the bullshit that restaurants continue to have to deal with. I hope you like him as much as I do. Oh, one last thing. I don't know if it made it into the final cut of this podcast, but in the interview, I commented on the legendary snack at McSorley's, a bar in New York City's East Village, made with saltine crackers, onions, cheese, and spicy mustard. That's the snack that's made uh, of those items, not the, not the bar. Uh, I said in the interview that the onions are red, but they're, they're white. Nothing at McSorley's is so fancy as to warrant a red onion. Anyway, now, here's Justin Cucci. Justin Cucci, how you doing? Pretty good. How about yourself? I, I am well. As we discussed before I turned on the recording, I just recovered from COVID and can smell things again. It was a mild case because I'm triple vaxxed. And now I'm good. I'm about to start going out again. Nice. Fun, which I enjoy doing. And you are the head of Edible Beats. And how many restaurants do you have now? According to your website, you've got six, including two root downs. Um, yeah, so five are sort of under my umbrella, and one of them is um, like a licensing of root down um, in the airport. So six really all day. And you got Linger Vital Root LPV and Ophelia's Electric Soapbox, which is reopening. Is it reopening? What's happening with that? It is. Yeah, we were shut down the day that COVID came and knocked on our door, and we're hoping to get open in the next, um, I would say, six to eight weeks. Now, so after you, two years, <clears throat> my good, and it's in the it's near Coors Field. Is that right? Yep, it's in the downtown area. It's an old Victorian building, eighteen nineties, that was um, 
beautiful building, fully restored. And yeah, we we occupy the uh, the basement and the uh, ground floor. Now your PR team is calling it a gastro brothel, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> is, I you know there are a lot of things that are legal in Denver, but prostitution isn't one. So so let's and but there certainly does seem to be a a sexy theme to to the place. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about Ophelia's Electric Soapbox. Yeah, so uh, that building has um, really been a uh, infamous um, landmark in Denver because it's uh, has a sordid past, including being a brothel, and then it transitioned into a live peep show, into adult video library, into um, you know a sex toy. So really, it's had this past that this one family has owned for I think about most of its life, at least the last fifty years, and uh, it's the only building, um, at least it was when when the landlord bought it. On the National Historic Register of places of historic places, there's some organization that has anything to do with sex that got a grant. Somehow they got a couple million dollars and completely redid the building. So it's it's got this funny, you know, seesaw effect. Maybe so doing some hanky panky with an authority. Yeah, well, I would not put it past, especially at the times. So. What what is the exact address? As you might recall, I grew up in Denver, so I, you know, I'm familiar with the area. Yeah, so it's 1215 um, 20th, West 20th Avenue or 20th Avenue. I forget if the West is there. It's right down the block from Coors Field. Um, you know, we kind of have a parking lot on one side and a gas station that turned into a, a weed gas station on the other. So there's really not many buildings on our block. So it wasn't um, sort of the heart of Skid Row like Lodo is. It's, it's more beyond that. It's actually two blocks from there. So I think it, oh, okay. it must have been a lot of skid rowing there for sure. Yeah, there. So we, yeah, when I was a, a young person, there were some derelict magic stories <laughs> and stuff that we would we would step over the homeless people, which we were called bombs at the time. And uh, Right. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. When I grew up in New York, that was what we called them. Yes. My they father were. still calls them bums. Yes. <laughs> yeah, bum, which no longer doesn't necessarily mean a homeless person, but a a uh, shirker, a shirker, yeah, someone who is not <laughs> contributive to so to society. Yeah. Um, so hey, yeah. <clears throat> all of this great history was always something that um, appealed to me and any adaptive reuse of a building. I want to be cognizant of its history and I want to honor its history much with linger in the mortuary and root down in the gas station. So um I knew I wanted to incorporate that, but I, of course, wanted to be respectful, tasteful. I have two daughters myself and wanted to make sure we did not make people uncomfortable. So I think we try to have a sex positive, you know, sort of dynamic there. We do um, give a nod to some of the very early and naive porn posters and dirty books that you maybe, not you, but somebody, somebody might get in a bus station in the 60s and keeping their, you know, overcoat. So we have those in the window. So there's, there's a fair amount of, um, you know, sort of homage to the sex. And so the gastro brothel was just sort of a play on its history's past and our food, um, you know, concept was sort of a gastro pub, right? Cause we do have live music and we didn't want to be too, um, over the top of the food. So we just sort of combined and made it a gastro brothel and then it just stuck. I don't think there's any definition for it. So it's always changing. Yeah, and, and I just my my brain went somewhere not great in terms of eating things. Um, but you you're also a uh, a music guy, right? And I you're am. Yeah. Edible beats. Yes. 
tell, tell our audience a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I don't know, like many chefs and people in uh, the industry, music is, you know, really, I say it's kind of either one or two, depending on the day, right? First is food and second is music or vice versa. So just having grown up um, exposed to a lot of music in New York and then also being an avid, you know, undercover deadhead, I immersed myself in all kinds of music through their music. And then now it's just, you know, a wide swatch of music that really um, influenced me both in life and because I've also been a musician for a bunch of years and for most of my life was playing. I stopped anymore because I'm too busy. Um, and so music just becomes part of the philosophy of how we do the, the, the restaurants and my sort of philosophy on food and, and people. So it's really been a blanket over Edible Beats, even though food and hospitality is our lifeblood. So opening a venue was to me something I always wanted to do. I had a, uh, a venue in Key West called Willie T's, which is still there. And uh, we had music there. And so that's when I really started getting into like booking some bands, having, you know, a, a production team, even though it was like one person then. So when Ophelia's happened, that was just where I was at. I wanted to combine amazing music, experiential music with hospitality, food. And I didn't think really anything existed like that. So what what instruments did you play? As, a, as I was mostly just guitar and I would sometimes rip a mean harp solo or harmonica. Nice. Um, so really just guitar and harmonica. Those count. Those yeah, they do. Facts. The guitar is sort of central to modern music. It, yeah, and a lot of the music I love, yeah, the funk and soul and like I said, a lot of Grateful Dead. And, um, yeah, it's very central. And I even used to, for the first about seven years of Edible Beats, I would surprise everybody because we'd have a company party we'd rent the venue we'd have a band and for the first seven years without really telling anybody i would put together a band and i had a whole bunch of local musicians and way more talented and hardworking than me but we'd put together pretty i think fun shows and play for three four hours and you know usually we had a theme so i wouldn't like let people know i was in the band and it would just be this like weird thing like is that who i think it is up there so it was a lot of fun though but that is fun yeah. So, so I grew up in Denver and I've been in New York for 23 years and you are a New Yorker who's been in Denver <laughs> for about that long, right? Yeah, I feel like, yeah, 20 years, give or take. So why? Why did you, as someone who left, why did you go to Denver? I feel like um, I have born and raised in New York and in, in the West Village, beautiful, you know, very cherished part of my life. But after 27 years, it just felt like a little overwhelming. You know, I just wanted change and I actually moved to Key West and um, lived there for about 10 years and found it very underwhelming, um, you know, culturally, um, musically, uh, the people, it was kind of one dimensional. I'm not a, a beach person. Um, so uh, after being underwhelmed and overwhelmed, I came to Denver at a time in my life when I wanted to be whelmed, you know, not under or over. And at that point I had a child and I wanted to be able to park my car I wanted to have a little bit of lawn and I, I really felt like um, Highlands where the most of the restaurants are really reminded me of Brooklyn when I was, you know, a teenager. It was just coming up and all these great old buildings, great, you know, um, houses being renovated. So I really felt an energy there that really uh, appealed to me. And then um, the mountains, you know, like I guess I just growing up in the East Coast, I feel like I was missing out, although 
I always felt like growing up in New York that there was a wasteland from New York to California and it was just cornfields and hillbillies and guns and chewing tobacco, but I was wrong. There is chewing tobacco in Denver. <laughs> yeah. In fact, another uh, East <laughs> transplant who, who I'm sure you know, Frank Bonanno. Oh, yeah. I met him 10 or 15 years ago and he, he had a little bit of chaw between his lip and gum. When uh, He still does. <laughs> I don't know how he does it or why he does it, but um, just as a chef, I'm like, dude, how do you taste anything with that shit in there? But uh, Buddy, you've gotten local. Good job. I had a friend in high school, uh, a young woman who chewed tobacco and would daintily bring sort of a mug up to her lip and spit into it. Her pinky wasn't quite sticking out, but almost. If there's a dainty way to chew tobacco, I guess that might be it. And she she did it. She had a certain robust daintiness to her, let's say. <laughs> but, uh, and and Denver's changed a lot since you've moved there. It's it's a fun city. Yeah, I'm, I I didn't know it was going there. I felt like I came to Denver when Denver was in its twenties, mm-hmm. I guess. In the you know the way we're talking right now, and so I do think it's growing up. But it's also a really fun city. It probably still is in its 20s. Maybe I came when it was in its young 20s and didn't know who the hell it wanted to be. Now it's maybe on the cusp of 30 and, you know, feels like it knows where it's going and what it wants to do for a living. Parking's getting harder, though. So that's that's. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I live outside of downtown parking, even by my restaurants. I go there early in the day and I, I can't even park in that neighborhood. It's like I remember the days you just pull up right to the restaurant and get out. And so I'm always late to meetings because of it. And I feel like here I am again in another city with no parking. It happens. It happens when things become exciting. And you've helped make Denver exciting from a culinary perspective. So thanks. Thanks for that. I'm still visiting periodically and I appreciate nice. it. Nice. Um, and how is the music scene in Denver? Um, I think that also has probably come leaps and bounds. I think you know, there was probably like a rough and tumble scene of a lot of, you know, gritty bands and a lot of shoegazing bands. And, but, and that still exists. But I think what's happened now is um, anywhere where we have such a big metropolis and a growing city, Live Nation, AEG, um, and some of the smaller local um, music venues have really taken um, note. And I think we've got talent on a national level coming through here all the time. I think in the past, that might have been one time a year or one season, you would see most bands come through. But with obviously Red Rocks, um, you know, as an anchor for all these years, I think we compete on a national level. And so the music scene is really exciting. That is fun. And so you're booking a lot of them or planning to book a lot of them in Ophelia's. When's it opening soon? So I would say end of March, early April, right around there. So yeah, we've already started, um, just started getting our feet wet. We have a lot of stuff on the calendar as holds. So just sort of waiting till we have confirmation we're actually going to get open. But we've, um, we work with Live Nation. They um, do a lot of uh, booking in the room and we have a great, um, uh, excuse me, talent booker um, that's um, with us. And we collaborate with some of the other venues because um we're not really um i think that the music business is definitely like possessive and i was always into music for the collaboration so we try and be an open venue and if you want to book something with us we don't mind who it is and as long as everybody has fun and and you know enjoys their experience whether financially or you know um musically or whatever that is that someone's in the game we'll we'll do any of it so we have a pretty wide swatch of music that gets booked in there we don't have just one um genre that's cool um can you talk a little bit more about the food there what are 
some maybe call out Hallmark dishes that you're that you're going to be serving them? Yeah, I think we've always had this sort of gastro idea behind us, and I think we've now just come to recognize um, since we've been closed for two years that we had some opportunity to evolve the menu. We used to have entrees and you know full proteins, um, you know veg, starch, and just probably overdid the food. I think our salads were seven, eight touches and, you know, roasting veg and developing flavors, which we still do, but we're not trying to be this like full service restaurant where you could sit down and eat a full meal. Although I think you still can. Uh, our menu is probably more geared towards small, fast, really um, flavorful uh, bites of food. So I think we're combining gastro with maybe a little bit of low country little bit of Americana. So as always with my restaurants, it's very bastardized, which is uh, intentional. I like it that way, having grown up in New York and being exposed to so many flavors. Um, so some things we're playing around with that, you know, I never thought we'd have on our menu is um, we're working on uh, right now, like a couple of things is um, uh, corn dog, just having this, there's this great um, Nyman Ranch bacon sausage and coming up with like a buttermilk uh, corn dog with maybe like a Korean uh, vibe to it. The Korean vibe is maybe optional, but basically a really good corn dog, which I don't know if that exists out there, in, at least in Denver. Um, we have um, uh, a French onion um, bread pudding that's a savory that's served with like a, an egg on top of it. You know, something that could just be in one like one bowl or one you know um, cast iron, as opposed to doing a whole set. Uh, we do like a shrimp and grits. Um, I know there's more. We're working on like duck wings right now because since it's like you know music, everybody wants wings, but we wanted to do something a little bit more elevated. So this great farm at Maple Leaf Farms that has these duck wings. So we're working on like a cone feed duck wing. Um, obviously, we'll have, you know, we have a really great oven in there that does our flatbreads. That's always been sort of an anchor is we have these little, you know, flatbread pizzas. And there's a couple other things, but it, it escapes my mind, but I'm sure it'll come back. Um, oh, just some croquettes like pastrami, sort of in a croquette, you know, a lot of finger, not finger food, but foods you can eat in one hand without having to have a knife and fork or be able to sit down. Um, burgers, I think I mentioned. Um, anyway, I'm sure there's more, but that's a touch of it. Awesome. So uh, you you touched on the the idea of simplifying menu items somewhat salads that aren't touched eight times right um, and that seems to be something a lot of people learned during the pandemic that let's let's not you know kill ourselves uh at least figuratively uh in in assembling our food let's find a way to get food that people want in a way that the restaurant can deliver regularly yeah. with a shortened staff and a lot of traumatized people. Is that have you also taken that approach to your other restaurants? Yes, a hundred percent. I think the direction we went at Ophelia's was partly influenced by all the things you just mentioned. Um, because we could do more touches and everything, but frankly, the other restaurants were contracting rather than expanding. And so we're looking at dishes and saying, do we need two sauces on this dish? Do we need that extra crispy shallots on this dish? Do we need microgreens on this dish? And then how are we making the dishes? Do we need to be, you know, there's always ways that we can find shortcuts, but as chefs, they maybe pain us. But at the end of the day, we do a lot of blind tasting and just say, let's put up an A and a B. You, you, you know, you maybe just sear something off and throw it in the oven. 
and then we'll braise it and sous vide it and you know do something else to it and see if we can tell the difference. One takes way more time, energy, and money, and the other one is way simpler. And we're definitely going that simpler route. And I honestly find that we're not making concessions. We're finding um, ways to bring flavors to these dishes in ways that maybe we've overlooked by being a little too complex in the way we do it. Um, and I think a lot of ethnic foods do that. They don't do as many gymnastics as chefs do sometimes, but there's so much ethnic food that is just beloved for sometimes its simplicity and some broad, big flavors. And I think we're trying to go a little bit more on that approach. When some of that food is, uh, seems simple but it's such a magical combination of flavors like, like a philly cheesesteak which is better in philly than in new york not <laughs> yes. exactly sure why but i think <laughs> it's because in philly they don't really give a shit like you know they put the onions on the griddle and some of them are burnt and some are undercooked <laughs> and they put it on they put it in amarosa roll bun with cheese and steak and there's just something magical about that whereas a new york chef might need to confiti onions or something yep. was like a that. cheese blend you know just yeah, exactly that actually makes it worse because right. it, it doesn't have that uh organic feel not as in yeah. not having uh pesticides but as in just something right. that, that emerges naturally i'm and guilty of that as a chef all the time and the pandemic has taught me to be way more aware of it you know and just the way you explain it it's, it's a it's a perfect example yeah, and there there are so many dishes like that. I remember having a, a roast pork sandwich in Puerto Rico that had avocado, but the big avocado, not the hash avocado. Yeah, the big Florida ones. Yeah, and onions and some sort of um, crumbly cheese and a little teeny bit of hot sauce. And it shouldn't have been that great, but it was. Right, yeah. Have you had the snack at McSorley's? Uh, no. It is onions like red onions and saltine crackers and terrible cheese and spicy mustard. It's garbage and it is so delicious. That's amazing. Wonderful yep. assembly of flavors. Um, and so is, is that the sort of stuff you're, you're going toward with, uh, with your restaurants now? Uh, yeah, I think to a degree. It's not authentic. Garbage. You're, not, you're not going, you know, for some, you know, traditional street foody kind of thing. You're doing your own thing, but are, are right. those kinds of approaches that you're taking? Yeah, I think for sure there's ways where we um, we have to evaluate the time, energy, and money, and how do we get there quicker? And I think what you said is a great one, like whether it's Cheese Whiz, which I'm sure that the, the cheesesteak became iconic because there was no chef 70 years ago when that was invented and they bought this cheese and it, it just became part of this build of flavors. And now a cheese blend or you know, confit and the onions. That's not what that dish was. So I think it is recognizing that a lot of the steps that bring this food to life, whether it's street food or low country, there's really basic techniques that go into it. And I still think as chefs and, you know, on my team and myself, we're always going to be looking for those moments to just do a little bit more. We can't help ourselves and we still do it, right? We'll say, this is so simply good, but what if we added some buttermilk powder to, you know, to accentuate this? Or what if we just add a little fish sauce even though there's no business putting fish sauce in there. Those things are more just like builds and builds are easy to like, you know, expand and contract. It's when we start doing all these processes. Uh, all my chefs, when, it, when we meet, 
someone in the room invariably wants to like, you know, vacuum seal something and sous vide it. And I'm like, guys, we have to move away from that. I understand it, but we can get there in another way. And I think that's just about it. It's, it's finding another path to the same goal. And we're not used to it because there's been so many, you know, tricks at our disposal that now we just need to tone it down a little bit. Well, and sometimes just searing something is better than sous vide. Yeah, it's not, right. It's probably not as consistent, but you know, Correct. the the wondrous variety that comes from each individual piece of meat is also yep. consistent. And if you make it consistent, you take away some of its heart. So, yep. so hooray. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit more about music since you're a music guy. And I kind of want you to take me on a little tour of your restaurants uh, based on their music. So, like, for example, Root Down is your first restaurant, right? In yes. Denver? What's what's the music like there? Um, the music we play, you mean uh, over the yeah system? yeah yeah yeah. Oh, I Which think I'm that sure you one. Take seriously. Say it again. Which I'm sure you take seriously. Oh yeah, I make every playlist that we play. No one's allowed to play something, and it's not based on necessarily my taste. It's based on my view of what that experience should be like for the diner in the venue, and then through that, I put my own lens on it. But it's not like I just put what I want to hear, which I think is often the mistake when people play music at restaurants, they play what they want to hear. And I don't want to hear sometimes classic rock when I'm eating at an Italian restaurant because the chef, and I would tell Frank this if he was here, sometimes he plays like classic rock at, at Austria Marco. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to hear Pink Floyd. Well, you know, I get the juxtaposition. I love juxtaposition, but the guitars and the, the noise gets a little noisy in a very quiet space. So anyway. You're talking rest. about Frank Bonanno at, at yeah. Austria Market. Yeah. yeah, I give him shit about that. Um, but I think because he puts on a Spotify station and, it, you know, it picks things. And before right. you know it, it gets away from you. And you're playing, you know, maybe, I don't know, um, Metallica or something really hard in a place where it shouldn't be that hard. So Root Down um, to me is always my wife named it because we both love the Beastie Boys. And that's sort of the. The, the flavor of Root Down is Beastie Boys, right? It's just, it's sort of like um, sampling, remixing, um, and just taking all these things and spitting out a, a unique vision in terms of the space. But musically, I think we play a lot of um, world music there. I think in the beginning, I wanted a lot of um, Brazilian music specifically for some reason. Uh, at brunch, we play a lot of bluegrass, but no doubt there's a lot of funk, soul, and some very like 101 maybe, um, you know, hip hop, not anything hard, but just fun hip hop, you know, maybe like Arrested Development uh, would be a good one there. Uh, Dream Warriors, just some of this like really positive, fun hip hop there and Beastie Boys, of course, but definitely jazz as well. So that's kind of the mix of Root Down. Well, and Root Down's cuisine is kind of global world cuisine too, right? So it is in, in its own way. It's kind of like a bastardization of New American with you know, like you said, uh, Moroccan, Thai, um, you know, Latin, just whatever we want to do there is kind of what we want to do there. I think I had curried mussels last time I was there. Is that possible? Yeah. Yep. That's true. They were really good. That was quite a few years ago, but they were really good. The Thai curry mussels with that coconut uh, broth. Yeah. And, and some kind of thick, toasty, awesome bread. That... Yep. We, from Grateful Bread, they have a, a place called Grateful Bread that made delicious bread and that was their bread. Yeah, that's good food. And then you have Linger. That was your second. Yes. Food. Yeah. So Linger is definitely probably edgier. Um, it's a younger scene. So there it's probably leaning more into like, you know, um, hip hop in a way that's 
you know, probably inappropriate sometimes, but people don't necessarily pick it up, at least language-wise. Um, definitely funkier, more soul, uh, maybe a little bit of um, electronica, um, which I know sometimes can have that, like, I try and avoid that vibe, but it definitely has some electronica in there. And um, definitely world, because we have street food, so I definitely take liberties with whatever world music, you know, Afrobeat and probably, uh, you know, Brazilian. Um, so that's probably more the, the linger vibe. And then you have Vital Root. Yeah. Um, Vital Root is really just, um, there's nothing that we don't play there as long as it's not too, um, I don't want to say loud, but it's not too edgy. You know, it's, it's like a fast casual, a lot of families there. And so I think we run the gauntlet of music. We definitely do some pop there. Um, uh, you know, all the other stuff I mentioned, probably some soul, funk, R&B, probably do probably one of the few restaurants I put a little Grateful Dead in there, some Sealy Dan. Um, so really a wide swatch there, as long as nothing is too hard or, or like grating. And I think I only stopped into Vital Root once. Can you, can you tell everyone a little bit more about the food there? Sure. Vital Root is um, really taking the food that you, you might get at Root Down and taking out all of the things like reservations and, you know, time-wise, you could eat there or get your food in 15 minutes. Uh, we try and make everything like $15 and 15 minutes or less. So I guess you would call it fast casual. We call it fast slow food because we're not taking any shortcuts in the sourcing, in the craftsmanship or the ingredients. It's the same process that we do at Root Down, but we just try and make it available and both to go, right? We're on a couple of the platforms now and that's our most successful restaurant in terms of to go platforms. That food travels the best, eats the best the next day, is built to be eaten at home or on the go. Um, and it is a vegetarian. Um, it's it's a hundred percent gluten-free. There's no gluten in that building. So, you know, we're getting our gluten-free certification. Uh, and the menu, although it's not vegan is really available. 99% vegan, which means you can probably pick things that take off the cheese and we have a substitute take off the sour cream. We have a coconut cream and grain-free as well. I think it's like 97% grain-free. So we've really tried to take wellness and food that I think a lot of us love and combine them so that you weren't making compromises to the meal you just ate because we, we partnered with a yoga studio down the block and we've really tried to incorporate some Ayurvedic principles in the food. So not to get too wellness oriented, um, the food should be delicious first and foremost and that's what it is, but there's a, an undercurrent of wellness that we try and put in the food. Well, it sounds like it's sort of, you know, without hitting anyone over the head, it's whole 30 friendly, keto friendly, paleo friendly, gluten-free, et cetera. So that whatever your deal is, you can enjoy it. And if you happen to be a, a someone who doesn't care about any of that, you're still going to have a delicious meal. So you hit on the head. That's exactly how I describe it is we want people who don't know it's a vegetarian restaurant to eat something and have no clue that they just ate something that was probably good for them, whether they wanted it or not, or hit a bunch of notes that maybe if they got the real thing, um, wouldn't be hit in terms of, you know, we try to build the healthy fats and we have no white sugar, no processed flours, no processed sugar. So 
uh, we really try to avoid a lot of those things that I think we're battling. And we only use, you know, maple syrup and honey and coconut sugar as our sweeteners. We only use more complex because there's no gluten in the building. So we use, you know, whole grain um, flour blends. So yeah, it's hitting a lot of those notes, whether somebody wants it or not. Just kind of what people like to call stealth health, but. Stealth health. I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. I never heard that. Oh, there you go. Stealth health. Some marketing people say. And then uh, finally, LPV. I don't think I know anything about LPV. So it's it's pronounced both ways, LPV or L5. So it's kind of a play on being a gringo as as I am, but we wanted it to be a you know tapas place. Excuse me. Um, and so yeah, it's beloved on both names and both are fair games. So you've hit one of them, but some people call it L5. And that was my fifth restaurant and it was on the fifth floor. And um, the whole time we had the blueprints, we never had a name for it. And it was, it was always, it always, it was always called just L level and the number five. So we just kind of named it after the architect blueprints, which was, and then we made it sound Spanish. So there's the LTV or L5. Um, and so that's just sort of a, ode to the Mediterranean. I feel often the Mediterranean food is, you know, really thought to be, you know, maybe, um, you know, a combination of uh, Greek and Italian and a little bit of French, but there's a whole swatch of countries there. And we try to incorporate a much larger region of Mediterranean foods. And that's why we call it Tapas de Gibraltar, Gibraltar being that big giant rock right at the entry to the Mediterranean. And so to us, it means that whole region. So it's Mez, it's Tapas, it's you know, paella, it's small plates. It's it's a lot of uh, Middle Eastern food. Um, and we opened that like five years ago. And the music there is probably more aligned with the experience, which is a lot of, you know, Spanish and uh, Latin music, um, a lot of um, world music as well, Middle Eastern music. So I think if there's one place where the music is more congruous with the experience, it's L5. Now I can't decide whether to call it L5 or L5. Whatever, whichever one you like. It's so nice to have those options. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Ophelia's is opening in, you know, late March, you said? March, April? Yeah, late March, early April. Well, congratulations in advance on that happening. It Thank was, you. It was a pleasure catching up with you. I hope to do it in real life soon. I'll be in Denver someday. Yes, look me up. I know we met in New York many years ago. I don't know if you remember, we met in Chelsea somewhere at a coffee shop. So. Yeah, we met at Cafe Grumpy. And you remember that. Yes, uh, and it was very memorable. Cool. Uh, thank you. Thank uh, you very much. Pleasure as always, and I'm glad you're healthy and doing what you love to do, which is just serves us better. So thank you for what you do. We all win and likewise. And cool. As I said, see you soon.